Alright now everybody, quiet down, quiet down, and listen to me. Prepare to be amazed as we describe to you amazing feats of prestidigitation and illusion. As we describe these wondrous events, there may be some details that are shocking and dare I say disturbing. But fear not, they are only descriptions of fictitious incidents and not actual occurrences. Or are they? Now, for those of you with weak constitutions, let me warn you that this motion picture review episode contains adult language, mature situations, revenge-seeking conjurers, entitled members of aristocracy, unscrupulous officers of the law, prestidigitation, peeks behind the curtain, very heavy spoilers, and science! Now, for everyone who is staying, hope you enjoy the show, and listener discretion is advised. Spark in Motion Picture Review, Episode 9. Are you watching closely? Hello everyone, welcome to a very special episode of the Spark in Motion Picture Review. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, what's up? Hey, it's Greta. Yes, and we are back for another fun-filled episode of this wonderful, amazing podcast brought to you by www.sparkin.com. Hope you guys are doing well. We've been pretty good, going crazy slowly during this weird, crazy... Quarantine thing? Social distancing. We're not even... Hiding in the fact that it's quarantine at this point. Quarantine, we're, like, we're just done. Social distancing. So on and so forth. But yeah, hope you guys have been doing well. If you join us for the first time, welcome. Spirekin is a podcast that provides informative reviews about connectively enhanced narratives. Now, what the hell does that mean? Well, it means every episode we talk about one or two different topics. Uh, since this is the motion picture review, obviously we talk about... Motion pictures or movies. We talk about movies. We tell you how they are, how the art style is, the soundtrack, the acting... And if it's worth investing your time in or not. You have to agree with anything that I and my co-hosts say. We try to be educational, exciting, enlightening, and most importantly, entertaining. And you can find any of our earlier episodes at... www.sparakin.com We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and various other social media sites. Just type in S-P-I-R-A-K-E-N. And I guarantee you'll find us one way or another. So... And if you want to email me personally, at, uh, at Spirekin on Twitter or Zan, X-A-N, at Spirekin.com if you want to email me. So now that all that's out of the way, let's get to it, shall we? Because this is something a little different because as usual, usually when we do the Spirekin Mong review, how do we determine what movie we are going to review? Well, we roll the dodecahedron of, I don't know, power? Movies. Of movies. And it tells us what we're going to review. However, last time we used the dodecahedron, we rolled a movie for a theme month. Our last theme month. Where we talked about various individuals who decided to use nefarious inventions and schemes to get certain ill-gotten gains. I.e. our heist month theme month. And so we've taken a break from doing motion picture reviews officially. Even though we're doing our awesome James Bond year where we're talking about every single James Bond movie. Bondathon. Our Bondathon. So this is not that. This is our standard, traditional, sparking motion picture review. So we're using our old ratings, all of that. So that's good. And this is since we're doing that, this is the one movie or two movies that we're going to mulligan on. So this is our mulligan. We're not going to roll for this month, but or this episode. But we've got some really good movies that are chosen. Consider and, this a bonus. Kind of a, a bonus, re- not restart because we're using it, but whatever. Let's get to it. So, the interesting thing about these two films are twofold. First off, they came out the same year. And they came out two months apart. Two months apart. And their creation process, according to various things, 
they were actually being prepared to be made around the same time. So you can't say that they're ripoffs because they're two very, very different films. Actually, would you say they're different films? I would say that the idea is similar, but they're completely different movies. They are because, well, first off, these came out in the far distant year of 2006. Yes. And first off, they're 2006. They both have major actors. However, the cool part about this is that one was released at Sundance and one was released just straight up was released as a mainstream film. No prestige behind it. And the one which was the Sundance film, it was directed by uh, Neil Berger and had a great a bunch of actors including Paul Giamatti, Jessica Biel, Rufus Sewall... And Edward Norton. And this is, you know, it's it's, an, it's supposed to be an art house film. On the other hand, you have a movie directed by Christopher Nolan. Right off of From the Dark Knight. So everyone knows him. He's the, you know, it's Batman. The guy who made Batman. And it's going to be starring Andy Serkis and Rebecca Hall, and Scarlett Johansson, and you have Michael Caine and Christian Bale from Batman. But then to make it even more awesome, they've chosen Wolverine from the X-Men. Yes, Hugh Jackman is in this movie. So this is like a huge, bombastic Warner Brothers Pictures extravaganza that everybody would love. So you have an art house film versus a huge, bombastic blockbuster. However... When you see the movies, they're flipped. Yeah. The huge, bombastic uh, blockbuster is an art house movie. And the art house movie that was released at Sundance and the Seattle International Film Festival is a romantic mystery film that's just kind of... It's like a movie you'd see released regularly in theaters. So, it's intriguing that this happened. Now, two other elements. One, well, not one. First off, they're both based off of stories. One was based on a a story by Stephen Milhouse. The other one is by Christopher Priest, who, if you ever read his stuff, he's out of his fucking mind. Genius, but he's batshit crazy. And so, the two films that we're going to be comparing and contrasting and talking about is... The Prestige. And The Illusionist. Yes. So, since they both came out the same time, except three months apart, should we go chronologically or the one which, or just go in, uh... I think we should talk about The Illusionist first. Okay. So, uh, if you've never seen The Illusionist, it's a very simple story. It's about a magician who... Is in love with a girl who's engaged to someone else. And they can't be together, but maybe they can. And then the girl gets murdered. Dun, dun, dun. And it's a mystery of what happened. Yep. A lot of stuff occurs. We're not going to... And we're not going to spoil any of these movies. And I know that a big part of it is that... Uh, what is it? The, it's past the statute of limitations. However, these movies... You can't go in knowing what's going to happen. We cannot spoil it. Right. You need to not know. 
Um, what I will agree on, though, is we will do a stinger. So after the end credits in this episode, if you are interested in hearing our thoughts about these movies and their twists, wait till after you listen to the whole podcast and listen after the end credits, after the end music. If you don't want to be spoiled, then just stop at the music. Stop listening. Stop, stop listening at the music part. Okay? You've been warned. Yep. So, now, let's get to it. So, as you said, The Illusionist, it's about um, our main character, who's a wizard, a magician named Eisenheim, who is, and this is during 1889, and this is in Vienna, Austria, slash Hungary, two different countries at the time, and he's being arrested for doing a show that supposedly involved necromancy. And this movie starts in Medias Res. Actually, both these movies are in Medias Res, which is even more crazy. They came out close to the same time. They're both in a Medias Res. And the other thing. But the other crazy part is that The Illusionist, it's a recounting. It's, uh, he, uh, Eisenheim gets arrested, and then Chief Ull goes to Crown Prince Leopold, who's a real person, who was involved in a whole scandal. Like, there's actually a huge thing about this event which occurred called the Meyerling Incident, which occurred in 1889, involving the the Crown Prince. We're not going to get into it, because, and you know, usually I history buff it, but we're not going to. So, anyway, he goes to Crown Prince Leopold, he meets him, and uh, Chief Inspector Uhl is going to explain what happened. He kind of recounts the backstory about what is the deal with Eisenheim, and it shows that he's... and. It's hard because it's going to spoil so much. You're like, I want to say so much. But su- and I'm the one that's more spoiler ready. But suffice to say, so this is based on Eisenheim the Illusionist. And it's about how he's arrested early on because he's doing necromancy. And the whole thing is that he's in love with the girl. The girl is engaged to the prince. And the girl dies. And then he, apparently, instead of doing illusions, this, uh, Eisenheim is bringing people back from the dead. Supposedly. And something is going on. And is he actually doing this? Is he being a fake? Is he manipulating? Is there a whole thing? What is going on? Who killed uh, the girl that he was in love with? And where does it all go? And this is superbly acted, might I say. And the funny part is that while Edward Norton's uh, accent is terrible in this movie, everybody else does an amazing job with their voices. Paul Giamatti, uh, speaking in, this, in a Hungarian accent, works really well. And you compare this to him in Spider- Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he is the dino. It's like, how the hell did you go from really good voice acting to the dino? It's like, how the hell did you get there? Um, you had uh, Jessica Biel as the love interest, Duchess Sophie von Tessian. It sounded like Jessen. Right? In the movie, like Jessen. Yeah, it did. Which is weird. Uh, Duchess De- Jessen. But it's she's a duchess. And she's a love interest. Then you have Rufus Sewell. Who, if you've heard me talk about him in other movies. Like, he is... He's constantly given the bad guy role. But I like it when he does play a hero. But this one, he's totally a bad guy. But he's kind of a bad guy. Not because he's villainous he's just that's how he is 
Because he, he makes a really great villain, though. No, he makes an amazing villain. His voice, like everything. like. But he's not a bad guy. He's no, just... not at all. But he makes a really cool villain. He does. He makes a great villain, not a bad guy. Well, he's a bad guy. He's a horrible. He's a horrible person. But it's like it's not his machinations are not because he's he's a villain. Like he is a hero in his own story, but his story is so convoluted. It's just whatever. So, but you have a distinguished good guy and bad guy in this movie, supposedly, and that's one of the intriguing parts about this. And also, fun fact: this movie goes into some of the technical aspects of magic, because and this is a little bit of. Nothing crazy, but a lot of the illusions that Eisenheim does, you see he has a workshop, you see him working on some of the pieces, and it goes into little bits of, of trickery behind it. Nothing too crazy, but it's because it's a one-man show. It's just Eisenheim. There's no one else with him except his manager, and that's it. And that's how this movie works. And it's a very well-crafted movie. Soundtrack is great. The visuals are great. Now... But it's very art housey. There are some very luminescent scenes, some scenes which are very dreamlike, very weird. Or not weird, it's the reverse. It's not. Um, it's It should be like that, but it's not. It's very predictable, very by the numbers. The twists. How long did it take you to get the, the twist in the movie? Not all that long. Not long? Within the first half or within the second half, you think? I think second half. Yeah, in the second half, it made sense. Yeah, first half, I was... Because you know it's a... It's a tricky movie. You're looking... Well, I was going into it looking for it. So I had thoughts and things like that, but I by the second half, I, I feel like I figured it out. But I wanted... I needed confirmation. I wasn't happy like, oh, I know what it is. Stop watching it. I still need to watch it to confirm. But I feel like I figured it out. Okay. Alright. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Now, the the other film we're going to talk about is the one that Christopher Nolan made. Now, beforehand, let me prefix this. During 2006, there were three films based on stage magicians. We are not talking about the third one because, one, I'm not a Woody Allen fan, and two, while it does have the same cast as the movie we were just about to talk about, I think it's not as good of a film, and it doesn't really focus on the elements of it. And we're talking about the prestige. Now, unlike The Illusions, which is a romantic mystery film, The Prestige is... A insane, crazy, psychological thriller that was based on the 1995 novel by Christopher Priest, and it's set in the 1890s, just like The Illusionist is, except it's in London. So, assumingly, you could say, okay, in Vienna, this is occurring, while meanwhile, in 1890s, in London, this is occurring. So, you could say it's occurring kind of simultaneously, and it's. You could. You could, you could math it out if you really want to be crazy. However, so, The Illusionist. How would you describe this movie in, well, first off, let's, well, we talked a little bit about the, the people who were involved, but let's get into the, how would you describe this movie in one sentence, without spoiling anything? So, The Prestige in one sentence. 
I would say two younger magicians who were not the solo act. They were like the behind the scenes guys up and coming best friends stuff goes down. Now they're rivals. It's a challenge, almost like very cutthroat challenge. It's, um, I like that on who can do better. And, you know, they've parted ways. They're both trying to be, the main guy, the main magician, the illusionist. Um, and it's their kind of cat and mouse game with each other, I think. I lo- That's a very excellent way to explain it. Because this is a movie about two rival magicians who are constantly trying to one-up each other. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And the movie actually opens up where one of them dies. And the other one is... At the scene of the crime, at the moment of when he dies. So it's, he's on trial. And he gets a hold of the, uh, the, the magician who died, his uh, journal. And the deal is, he's reading the journal, and the journal goes back to him reading. Um, so the two people are, you have Hugh Jackman as Robert Angier, a.k.a. the great Danton, and then... Alfred uh, Christian Bale as Alfred Borden, the professor. It's two guys who are constantly trying to one up each other, and it's in the opening scene. It's Robert Angier is killed, and Alfred Borden is at the scene of the crime when it happens. How it happens, we're not going to say. We're not going to spoil until after the thing. However, uh, uh, Borden gets. The journal of Robert Angier, and he's reading it, and it's him thinking about him going to Colorado for reasons. Which, again, we're not going to spoil too much about. He's going to go get a machine made for him. And he also stole, or got a hold of... A magic machine, by the way. Uh, Alfred Borden's journal. So it's Alfred reading the journal about Hugh Jackman, about uh, Robert Angier... As Robert Angie is writing about reading the journal that is Alfred Borden. So it's very um, multi-layered. And it goes back and forth. And it's like him reminiscing. It's like a flashback within a flashback. And it's really cool to see how it goes. And it shows this. It explains the history between these two guys. Now, uh, apparently in the original novel, it's just written as two journals. And part one is... Uh, Alfred Borden's, and part two is Robert Angier's journal. That's it. And it's bookmarked by a very different twist. It's like modern era and some supernatural mumbly-jumbly. But uh, The Prestige deals with their how they went from friends to bitter rivals and all things that they go through. And like Greta said, this movie actually shows the inner workings of magic. Like, things that you wouldn't expect. The trick. The... Oh, the, the, the three-part method, which is the, uh, the oath, the turn, and the prestige. And how all of it works. And there are other little things as well. And that's how the movie's presented as the oath. Because it's the, the oath, or the pledge, which is explains you something which is real. The turn, when something weird happens. And the prestige, when something... The, the magic trick happens. And it's... It's very engaging to see it because you do see 
elements about, like, for example, the stage magician, how they say, I want to pick these gentlemen in the audience at random. It's not always at random, it's their plants. And magicians end up becoming um, men of many faces. They're disguise artists. They're masters of disguise. Because it's an illusion. It's an... It's a show. And there's, a, there's a trick to it. There, there is, and it's always these these things of this and that, and it's if you're in on the trick, it works, and it's not, it's not as good. But it's work. When you're in on the trick, it still work. You still have to do stuff. Yeah, because these guys, they are like, and when the when it starts off in their past, these guys are low level. Uh, I don't want to say that they are. Well, they're apprentices to start off with, and they're working with a main magician, and they're also friends with an ingenue, which is an engineer who designs how the contraptions work. The secret keepers of the world of magicians. Like nowadays, most magicians are their own ingenue. They don't trust anybody to be an engineer, or if they're partners, like Penn and Teller, one of them is the ingenue, one of them is the presenter. Because with most magicians, that's how it works. It's one is the smart, is the intelligence. The other one is the, like if there's partners, one is intelligent, one is the showman. Um, With uh, Robert... Uh, with the great Danton and Alfred Borden, it's a little different because one of them is an excellent magician. He's the better magician. Yeah. But he's a horrible showman. The other one is a great showman. But not a good He's magician. good, but he's not great. And this leads to them, their rivalry, because a trick is developed, which is amazing. And they begin fighting over this trick. But that's after... Things go to hell. Because things go to hell way early on because of a legitimate... Would you say it's a legitimate reason why their their uh, their rivalry 100%. starts? 100%. 100% it's a legitimate reason. One, even if the catalyst didn't happen to where, where it kicked off for them to be there, they were pals and either one was going to have to be the subordinate and the other was going to have to be the magician. One was going to have to be the secret keeper. And they would have had, that would have been an alternate reality. That would have been an awesome magician. Or they would have been friendly competitors who are. No, I think they would have been either or. Either they would have worked really well together and one would have been the secret keeper and the other the showman. And Hugh Jackman would be the showman, clearly. But with the catalyst, there's no going back. There was no going back. There is no going back but it did get it, it the thing is that at one point it was you end it there there's like tons of points where you're like just end it there just okay this happened and then this was a reaction that be this the reaction end. and let it be in. and it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating to like absurd points of just like we don't even want to say it and then it gets worse because there are people who there is collateral damage with people involved a lot of people, there's a lot of collateral damage. And everybody does an amazing job in this movie. Even though I will say that Scarlett Johansson in this movie as um, the great Danton's assistant, Olivia, her accent is terrible in this movie. Yes. 
Like it's really bad. But she's beautiful. It's it's Scarlett Johansson. She's her breasts are perfect. It's Scarlett Johansson. It's Scarlett Johansson again. Uh, but everyone does a great job in this. Like Christian Bale's um, Alfred Bourdain is a very. I liked how he plays him. How he's just it's and everything that everything that's what made Alfred the magician that he is is it's done so well and as things go on it's like very difficult role to play but done well with Christian Bale and shows he's a versatile actor yeah Hugh Jackman on the other hand as Robert Angier he does a great job as this this in uh this character who has an obsession yeah who has it who starts off as just very hopeful and dreamlike and just becomes obsessed and I will part of me wants to say jealous because jealousy kind of leads part of it off I don't think it comes from jealousy it comes from a place of deep sorrow and hurt I and then it eventually develops into I have to beat you because you're horrible and you don't deserve to be happy. And then it becomes jealousy. How dare you have something that's so awesome? I can be more awesome than you. Then it then it becomes jealousy. I feel like it has and different then it's, stages. And then it's envy. And then it's just en- and not yeah, envy. Yeah, but just... I feel like it has different stages. It's layered. Yeah, it's he just evolves slowly over time. And his is evolution. And the thing is... Unlike with The Illusionist, where we have a good guy, we have a bad guy. This is both guys, you understand where they're coming from. That was our cat. That was our secondary cat, the, the infamous Give story. Give it to me. Give it to me. Who is now going to go to Time Out. Hello. Welcome to Time Out. I am your warden. <laughs> However, as we said, so he's, it's just, you see these two people deal with this as there is, and they're both villains. They're both horrible people. But seeing how they were good, good men, and they become horrible over time, it's enjoy the first few minutes of the movie because that camaraderie is not there after that. No, well, you know that from the beginning because one killed the other, allegedly. And all the other actors who are there, I mean, you have Michael Caine playing uh, John Cutter, the ingenue, who is their mentor and ends up working well with... And I love Michael Caine. uh, That's such a good job for him. He's great as the father figure, the teacher and guide to... um, The Alfred of Batman, the butler, the... And he is the heart of the film, because there's some scenes which they're heartbreaking and he's the best part of it and he brings it he's also the narrator of the movie because he starts the movie off and then ends the movie and then they have all the different narrators and um some of the other actors who are great uh david bowie's in this movie it's one of his like one of his four roles and he's amazing he plays it kind of straight i didn't if you didn't tell me if it was david bowie i would have been like oh he looks familiar who's that actor and it's david bowie and he does a great job and he's playing a real world person uh not to spoil, well, I'll spoil it. No, 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 because no, he's a real character. Uh, it's Nikola Nikola Tesla, 
the uh, infamous inventor slash mad scientist who harnessed electricity. The man who was the, who is almost a foil for these two gentlemen because his rivalry with, rivalry, his rivalry with Thomas Edison is kind of paralleling what these two men are going through. Because Nikola Tesla was the visionary. He's super charismatic. He's an he's a genius. And he's super revolutionary. But, but he's Thomas a Thomas sci- Edison was, was the businessman. He's whereas one is the magician, but one's a showman. And that's the big part about it. You know, we don't ever meet Thomas Edison, but we do see his goons around. And the things were true that he stole uh, Thomas Edison. It's been proven he stole people's inventions. He stole it, claimed it as himself. He would, uh, he had people working in the patent office. All these conspiracies about him. I mean, but Nicholas, Ta- Nicholas, he was a businessman. He's a corrupt businessman, but an effective businessman. He did because now Edison is is the name, and Tesla's the one that some people know because they're weirdos. Tesla cars and things like that. Like, think about if Tesla was able to get half of his inventions out there. Like, he invented an earthquake machine. He made an earthquake machine. Like he's he was a genius. <laughs> we don't need someone creating earthquakes. No, but I'm just saying he had like an anti. He had he he had he designed motorized cars and other stuff. He was, but again, as me being a little bit of a uh thing with uh. Sam likes to root for the underdog. No, I like Tesla. I like Tesla. I think he's really cool. I have a Tesla bulb on my desk because it's actually really well designed. But uh, who else? Andy Serkis is in this movie, and he's not doing a weird accent or role. He's playing Andy Serkis. Well, he's playing uh, Mr. Alley, the assistant to Tesla, and he does a good job. He's kind of like this, um, like the reverse Michael Caine. He's the gatekeeper for him. Yeah, the assistant or secretary, the but the holder of the keys. Yes, it's like how Michael Caine is the holder of the keys because he's the ingenue. He, invent some of the inventions and some of the he is alfred in this movie uh there's a couple other people you have rebecca hall playing um the wife of uh, borden and she does a really good job as this and she has a tough role she has a a deep deep role there's lots of dimension to her character from the get-go, she's not just a pretty face. No, and uh, these are our main players. Um, you have a cameo by Piper Parabu, who most people don't even remember who the hell that is. But, you know, if you ever saw a movie called Coyote Ugly or Looper or Cheaper by the Dust 1 and 2, that's, she's... She's in the very beginning of the movie. She, yeah, she's... A, she's essential, to the entire plot. She's just not in the movie for very long. No, she's not. And um, one little nice little cameo, if you're a fan of certain older TV shows, you have Daniel Davis or Niles the Butler from The Nanny playing a judge. Yeah. And he does, and he just sees a nice little cameo. So, this movie about obsession, secrecy, and sacrifice is completely just what the hell it is just truly what the hell it leads to so many things going on and it's it's got 
layers upon layers with it. Um, and we haven't even gotten to some of the major points about it, how much this leads to the mayhem that occurs in this movie. Because there's layers between other things as well. Like, um, you have the class between uh, working class versus um, rich. You have um, the, f the fact that none of these characters are really good, but they're not either evil. They're just kind of people. They're just people, and, and, but they're also, it's a tough life back then. And if you there's no like real middle class, it's a tough life if you're you have to be your own advocate. So they're not evil, they're just living a tough life. It also talks about the other thing that there's constant things in like the real showman world. Like the the theft of of magic tricks is a major thing that happens in the real magical world and it leads to a lot of issues. It's a lot of people have disputes and arguments about their about their illusions and it's kind of a very um i don't want to say it's in the know but it's kind of a behind looking behind the curtain of magicians and what they go through i don't think they go to this insane level about magical supremacy they do pen and teller no but, i mean but they're not like, but they're, they, but Penn and Teller. There's like gag orders and stuff. And they are well, for them. they are no longer part of the uh, Magic Castle because they broke some of the, the code because they're willing to reveal stuff. But there's a lot of things. And one thing is that there is a metaphor that's, that's throughout this movie that I'll explain. It's uh, early on and you won't, if you don't pay attention, uh, you won't catch it, but it's about commitment about the meaning of commitment and that is what this movie is about and it's just it's it's it leads to what this movie is commitment and also the divide between an artist and someone who's just a person who's just trying to to make money yeah. It is. Because, like we said, it's a showman and a magician. The magician just is doing it to be a magician because money or whatever. Showman does it for the audience. Because they live on that... Applause, that excitement, that joy that the audience gives you. Yeah. Also, uh, so... Also, the music is very, very. Uh, this is uh, this was this is very Chris Nolan-y. It sounds like Memento and Insomnia. It's got a great, just very traditional Hans Zimmery sound to it, which I will say out of so if we compare the two of them, going back to so that's our feelings about that. If we compare the two of them, which one do you think has the better soundtrack? The Illusionist or the Philip Glass... No, the Philip Glass Illusionist or the Hans Zimmer Prestige. Or both not memorable at all. Neither were really memorable to me. I'm not as much of an audiophile as you are, but neither were particularly memorable. Both 
added to the movie and added depth and drama and excitement and you know you caught your breath at different points and things like it made you feel I, f I feel like both were exceptional but neither really stood out like ooh I want that soundtrack that makes that, that, is, that, is, a, that is a very valid point um, I think that out of the two of them I think the illusionist had the more haunting because it's very ethereal the, the, the sound to it Maybe they did that for reasons, but the prestige sounds like so many other scores. It just, it's not enjoyable. It's very functional. It just, it fits the movie because the movie you're focusing on everything else and the movie does not undercut the film. But on the same token, like, cause they say a good soundtrack, a good score, you don't know it's there, but it accents the movie. It gives you the feels. For example, a horrible score would be um, the Suicide Squad soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack, but that overtakes the movie. The movie was garbage. The score was amazing. The, the yeah, sound a lot of the music is great. This one, it's the for the prestige. It just it's functional. It's there, and they could have done so much more. And it's a little dull. Now, the prestige on the other, uh, the illusionist on the other hand, it's there and it accents it a little bit more but it's still very just eh so out of the two i think that the soundtrack for uh Luz just is better now but see now that's where i come back to is the soundtrack better or is it just that it adds more to the movie yeah i think that like if it adds so much depth to the movie and it makes it so much more of a cinematic experience, it's not necessarily the best soundtrack that you want to listen to on its own. True. Like, I could picture myself listening to the Illusionist score relaxing. The Prestige soundtrack, it's just kind of like zombie noise. It's like... And just various other weird tones to it. There's nothing memorable about it, like you said. So now, so soundtracks aside, now who is the better leading actors? Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Over Christopher Norton, uh, Edward Norton. Yes. Okay, I could, I have to second that. I think that they were much better in the film. I think that they just worked better together, and they both were very multifaceted, and they weren't just. The good guy. In this one, yes, Eisenheim has some secrets, but he, he's he's playing a tortured soul who is mourning the loss of his who's in love with a girl. He loves the girl, and then when she goes, it's he's kind of accusatory, and then he's just he's there. Prestige, on the other hand, these two guys they they are multifaceted, as we said earlier. Like, we can't really talk about much about them. I will say Aaron Johnson playing the young Eisenheim. I was, it had to be pointed out to me that he was the young Eisenheim, but I think this is one of his earlier roles. I think it's like his third role or fourth role. No, actually it's his like fifth role, but he did a really good job in this movie. Because he plays the young romantic Eisenheim who, who, who makes a MacGuffin at one point and he lends to his credence. Now, for villain, what do you think? The Crown Prince Leopold or our two main characters? Who's the better antagonist? I, 
like as a villain the crown prince leopold because i like having a villain you can focus all your hate on the the prestige your hero is the villain your villain is the hero it goes back and forth and back and forth you don't know who the bad guy is they're both the bad guy neither is the bad guy i like having one bad guy it's the prince he's the bad guy boom him do you think he's worse than both of those them though I think on a grander scale. I mean, if if Crown Prince Leopold, his machinations ever did come to fruition, he would be a horrible monster. But he, I think he was a horrible monster. Okay, I could, I could, I could, I can agree to that. Now, um, other thing are without doing any spoilers. Yes, I think it's really hard to say that the Prestige doesn't have a more personal plot as opposed to a more grand scale plot. And that feels more like a realistic villain, like your villain is the guy down the street kind of thing versus the prince being the oh I hate this political person. Blah, blah, or blah, or blah. whatever. Right. Um okay, I can agree with that. So Rufus Sewell, yeah. So what about the So sus- for me, I like Disney princess movies where there's one one bad guy, one good guy, and a hero. You know, like, so I like the prince as the villain. Yes. Uh, now, what about secondary characters? Would you say Paul Giamatti or Michael Caine? Michael Caine. You don't think... I want to say Paul Giamatti, but Michael Caine has a special part of my Cause, heart. Because Michael Caine is playing Chief Inspector Walter Uhl, a character who is both likable, he's really likable, because he's a cop who's... Should, should we just spoil that element about it? Because it's kind of... it's. Well, all right. No. He's a amateur magician. So he's trying to solve a case, but he's also someone who's a fan of Eisenheim. And this isn't spoiling anything else because there no, is more. No, that's not Michael Caine. Michael Caine's the guy from The Prestige. No, no, no. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. I was talking about Paul Giamatti. Like, that spoil. No, don't spoil it. Paul Giamatti, I, th- I think that he does such a great job. Because he's his character's in such a weird spot because he's a fan, but he also has to do his job and then other stuff. And I think he's corruptible, but corruptible in an everyday. Like, if you saw $100 on the ground, would you pick it up and turn it in or would you pick it up and keep it? Like, I think he's a he's corrupt in the sense that but that was that, kind of That corrupt. was the thing I wasn't going to spoil. But, yeah, he's a corrupt cop. But, he works. but you, you kind of get that from the very beginning. So I, feel, I don't feel like that's quite a spoiler, but he's still a good guy and a good... His heart's in the right place, but he's stuck in a really bad position. But I feel like he does the right thing in the end. Michael Caine is Michael Caine. I still see him as the makeover guy from Miss Congeniality and like I see him in and and Alfred for Batman, and I see him in all those roles, and he's just Michael Caine. I think he just wins. But the thing is that, but like you said, the thing is that Paul Giamatti's character is he's real, corruptible, but he's real. In in from Michael Caine, he is like the two other protagonists. He's all over the place. But I want him to be real. Now, other other we could talk about the leading lady, but it's not fair having one leading lady versus two leading ladies. So that's a wash. But for acting in personal, I think Jessica Biel does the better job. I think she's an incredible job, and she's so beautiful. She's playing a duchess. 
but she's but she's also she's a duchess but she's also down to earth like i think that she's beautiful beautiful inside out i did love her in this movie versus the two female leads in um prestige the prestige i think scarlett johansson is is absolutely just bombshell what you think you can be if you work out hard enough um and what's what's the other girl's name uh the other girl um uh it was rebecca hall who has she reminds me of hillary duff's sister i think she is is she hillary duff's sister no, they no. they never work together. But she's she's she reminds me of Hillary Duff's sister. But I think she's beautiful in a very ordinary. She could be your neighbor or your sister or your best friend kind of way. I think both women are very strong. Um, she's multi layered. There's so much to her. I think all three female roles are well portrayed there's a very there's a very good there's a very good um i hit her with it too there's a very good storyline thought process there's backstory there's depth to all three i think jessica beale does her the best role job. her character i think that's the best i i concur with that as well and it's just it's it's really difficult because each one has a lot to, to do it's not just one aspect i mean they have a lot to deal with and i think that um while jessica beale i think does the best job in that now for additional characters i'm just saying david bowie and any circus steal the show because <laughs> it's 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 a small role for for david bowie but it's david bowie <laughs> so so with that in mind, um, out of these two movies, both of these films, I think, are, well, my rating for both of them are really, really, really fucking cool. If you don't watch them now, your brain will freeze your eyes as well, but you sold before to the Great Zone of star. However, however, there's a caveat. That's if you see it the first time. The one which continues to have a really, really, really fucking cool is The Prestige, in my opinion. Because it's got multiple re-watching re, uh, potential. Because of things that happen. Because once the prestige of the prestige happens, you want to go back and watch the pledge and the turn of the prestige to see what you missed. The, um, the, the turn in The Illusionist... The, it's not as much of a prestige. It's more of a, okay, I see this happening. This is how this is going to go. It kind of lays it out for you. What happens. But I like that. I like that you can... When it comes to rewatchability, what would you say you would you could rewatch more? No, no I said uh, the procedure I think you could rewatch more. You can rewatch it several times. The Illusionist, it's a kind of one and done. Like, you can watch it maybe one more time or two more, but it's after that, it's like, it's nothing is going to be very different. I think both you can watch a couple of times and continue to catch more and more the more you watch it. But I think that's more in the prestige. We'll talk more about this in our, but that's our opinions. 
If you've seen both these, if you agree or disagree, email us, sparkin at gmail.com or zan at sparkin.com. Uh, from, and now, with this point, um, remember to check out any of our early, let us know what you think. And uh, with that in mind, let's actually get to the part that we've all been waiting for, and that is the... It's been a while, so let me see if I can do this right, because I've been doing, as always, the Wheel of Manga, but it's been so long since I've done this one. So it's that one, that only, the Dodecahedron of Movies! Yes, the Dodecahedron of Movies. So what is the Dodecahedron? It is a 12-sided foam dice. And what we're going to do is we're going to roll it. And if it lands on 1 through 9, that's the movie we review. If it lands on a 10... That's Greta's choice. If it lands on an 11, it's roll again. And if it lands on a 12, it's my choice. So let's roll. And see what we're going to review. We got some interesting ones on here. Some anime on here. Some live action. Some really weird ones. We got this one movie which they say you look like a moose. Make all the boy moose go, Wah! Well, actually, no. It's the, it's the first one. <gasps> yes. But anyway, so roll and see. Roll. That was not, that was not a good roll. roll. Like, okay, I'll roll again. Give but me, if I roll no, again, roll it against there, and we'll see. Give me a real roll. Number six. So, ironically, number <laughs> six is a movie involving a man who runs with his arms against his side, goes running, 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 and it's a movie which I personally originally. Before we changed it back to actually just using the Spyrokin Review Podcast, Movie Review, Motion Picture Review Podcast, and then the name of the movie, I had a very weird name for this one. Um, red Light, Green Light, because it has the dumbest scene in a movie with involving It has that. the gun, the gum, Red Line, Green Light. I line. hate that scene so much because it's so dumb. But it's yes. not dumb, it's awesome. But anyway, we're going to rewatch and we're going to talk about a movie that's based on a TV show from the 60s. And what are we talking about? Mission Impossible! Anyway, so that's it. So we'll talk about that next time. That's it for this episode. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. If you want to hear spoilers, we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes uh, after the end credits. But if you're not, thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Zan. I'm Greta. We're gone, so we'll catch you guys next time. And see ya.
gentlemen, from the furthest corners of the world, where the dark arts still hold sway, I present to you a man who has unlocked these mysteries to demonstrate how nature's laws may be bent. Tonight, I give you Eisenheim. I've seen you perform. Perhaps you'll give me a tip. How can we help you, Inspector? The Crown Prince plans to attend your performance tonight. I need a volunteer from the audience. Someone not afraid of death. Do you know me? No. was seen in the company of another man. I know you've been with him. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me! He plans to overthrow his father. You'll never be emperor. You shouldn't be involved. Leave him. It's not that easy. I want you to put an end to it. Edward! Let her go. Get away from her. She knew his secret. What secret? I'll advise you not to accuse anyone. Not for yourself that you can play in their game. There's no trick they haven't seen. He's proven to be more than a magician. Do you claim supernatural power? Perhaps I'll make you disappear. I want an example made of him. I hereby arrest Eisenheim the Illusionist! Promise me you won't do it again. I promise you you'll enjoy this next show. Hey guys, it's Zan. And Greta. And now we're officially going into the spoiler talk. And this is weird because I haven't done a spoiler talk in a long time. Especially because this is one where it's past the statute of limitations. Way past the statute of limitations. It's been more than... Actually, it's been 14 years. And our statute of limitations is 10 years, right? Yes. So, let's get on to this. So, the big spoilers. First off, with The Illusionist. The big deal with The Illusionist. The whole movie is based on the fact that the duchess gets killed and supposedly it is the crown prince that killed her but they can't prove it and then Eisenberg is trying to resurrect the duchess however it turns out that they uh through shenanigans through various pieces of evidence it's proven that the crown prince did kill her however this is not the case he didn't do it. No. It turns they out... They make it look like he did it. He should have done it. He he has killed other people and beaten other people. And he's truly a bad guy and should go down for all of it. And they can't catch him on any of it. But he didn't do this one. He 
Uh, the Duchess is still alive. She faked her death. Love and prevails. It, it was a huge plot to get rid of the crown prince who was plotting to... But also to be able to get the two characters together. Because when could a, a nobody marry a duchess? That is true. However, the whole thing of it is that... Um, part of it is that they're, they're going to stop the crown prince from plotting a coup d'etat against his father, the Emperor Franz Joseph I. Because he's planning to marry the Duchess because if he marries her, he gets more political power in order to perform his coup d'etat. And when she says she's not going to marry him, he goes ballistic, and that gives a reason for him to try to kill her. And then they drug him, so it's a whole thing. And at the end of the movie, it's all revealed in a very nice montage sequence. Now, for this reason, the movie isn't really... Like, once you know that... It's not really... The rest of the movie is just very... Okay, uh, so it opens up where it's the flashback. Then it goes to the past. The past, here's what's happening. Here's the setup scene. You see where some of the setup is. Because like some of the characters turn out to be playing multiple roles. And you see that. And that's how it goes. And it's actually well done, I think. I think it's fantastic. The magic is not a major part of this movie. The whole thing is it's just really just a plot twist to get rid of the the suitor for the girl that's all this movie really is yeah in the long run and if you put it that way this is the weaker of the two magician films because the magic is not the focus of it it's the rom the romance and this whole crime that occurred and the whole plot and setup of framing the the prince yeah that's all the movie really is and in that reason you can see it's a weaker film it's a much weaker film now, if we go to the illusionist on the other side, this is super convoluted, so get ready for a wild ride. So, if you've seen the illusionist, you will know already the situation that the whole reason why... Like, I don't even know how to release the... Information? The information. Like, if you ask me to sum up the twist in one sentence, I don't know if I could do it. Well, let's go further into the movie. The whole movie is that, one, uh, due to a reason... Uh, Angier's wife gets killed in an accident, and Borden doesn't know why. Doesn't know if he tied a knot or not. <laughs> nice pun there. Uh, if if he's the reason why she died, he doesn't know, and he constantly says, "I keep asking myself that. I don't remember," which is a really weird thing, and you don't really think about it. And then the whole thing is that uh, after they piss on each other and they try to keep one-upping each other by doing horrific things to each other, one shooting the other one's fingers off. Turns out that uh, Borden creates a trick called the Transported Man, which is able to move between two different wardrobes across from each other in a stage. And um, Angier is obsessed with figuring it out, even though Michael Caine says, it's easy, it's a double. He's like, there's no way it's a double. It's impossible it could be a double. It's him. It's not a double. It's not a double. So he ends up hiring a double for himself. He's going to make it look better. He does it. And then eventually, um, Borden, being pissed off, screws him over, uh, makes it so that when the twist happens, he gets made a fool of and breaks his leg. And then he says, oh, well, you like this? Go to my show instead. And that's, it's just getting worse and worse and worse going back and forth. It's like a whole advertising stunt. Which is really messed up. And then um, it turns out that his assistant is a spot. Um, uh, uh, Andrea sends his assistant to be a spy to Borden. But she falls in love with him. Which is going to cause problems with Borden's wife. Because apparently it's weird that Borden's wife 
is kind of confusing. Why are you spending all this time with your assistant? And then the other part is that she's able to sometimes say that today you don't love me, today you do love me, which is really weird. When he says, I love you, she blatantly says, you don't mean it today. Or today, and, or today you mean it. Or today you mean it. But she can confront him, and she knows if he really truly means it or not. And she calls him out on that. And for that, that's a significant... Like, women didn't have a lot of power. That was ballsy. Um, but she said, like, the first time she says, no, today you love magic more. Yeah. she could, and, But she's okay with it. She's like, you know, it just means so much more when you say it and you do mean it. But later on in the movie, when she says it, it's meaning something entirely different. My thing different. is, I might spoil it. Right well, here. we'll 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 get into that in a bit. So, and we're giving you a whole synopsis of the movie, mind you, because it's the only way it makes sense. So from here on out, um, enraged uh, Angier gets gets the um, the 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 journal of Borden, which we know he has because he's reading in the beginning of the movie. And he needs a cipher to break it. He needs a code word. So he ends up kidnapping uh, Angie, uh, uh, Borden's ingenue, this guy Fallon, who's like his best friend. Like In the beginning, he's like, oh, uh, this is Fallon. If we, if we don't have any money, you know what? He'll eat half my food. Don't worry. He'll take care of us. That's how it's going to work. And they end up kidnapping him. And they, they bury him alive in order to get the password. So this is upping just slowly over time. It went from, okay... It's... They, I don't think you gave it enough weight. They kidnap him and bury him alive. And this is after the first time when he tries to kill him because he's doing a bullet catch. And he just blatantly puts a bullet in there and says, What not did you tie? And shoots off his fingers. Off of, uh, Andrew shoots Borden's fingers off. His pinky and ring finger on his left hand. Yes, but then from here... But it's halfway down. It's knuckle. It's middle knuckle to the end. And that's just so one side. So he still has side. two stubbies. Yeah. But then from there, like I said, we said the next retaliation from that is him uh, get uh, and you're getting a, a huge gig. And then it gets closed on the first night because uh, Borden sabotages it so it cuts off someone's fingers. And kind of... it. I don't know if he was trying to cut off Angie's fingers... Or he's trying to cut off the person who was helping his fingers. But it, it, and at that point, it should have been done. At that point, we're done. But then it's, oh, here's a new trick. I'm going to copy it. And then... But there was no reason to retaliate twice on that. Because all he did was he took the trick. Or he copied the trick. That's all. He should have left it alone. But then he he instigated it further by breaking... By not just ruining his career, but then breaking his legs. His leg. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could have gone for both. He could have gone for his spine. It just depends on how you drop. But he tried to... He took away the cushion so that he dropped. He just dropped to the hard floor. And as we said earlier, the whole thing is that the whole instigating thing Which is... Which is like a 10-foot drop. Like, he killed... Uh, Angier's wife died because of what Borden may or may he not have done. He tied a different knot. We don't know for sure. We don't know, but we know that They looked at each other. She nodded. He was ready for it. It was different than what he did the first time around. And she couldn't get her hands out of it. And she couldn't get out of the tank. It was a different 
However, this leads to the beginning of the movie because the reason why Angier dies is because he drowns in the same type of tank. So it seems almost like a poetic justice. For him to die in that. And then from here on, um, uh, Angier goes to America, goes to Nikola Tesla, discovers that the journal is a fake because he it was just essentially him... Like saying, listen, I've ruined your life to, you know, I've sent you away. Just be yourself. Don't worry about it. Just stay in America. You're not needed here. And it was just a distraction for him. However, Tesla builds a device which is kind of a mimic of the transported man. However, it's a... In an attempt. Not an attempt. He literally creates a device that will, will kind of transport things, but it leaves a copy it copies things. So it's a machine that will cop and it, it duplicates anything put inside it a short distance away. So he now has a machine that's going to make duplicates. So obviously, as you can guess, the duplicate is killed. Or not really, because it gets all weird and crazy at this point. And turns out that, well, one, Borden's wife the kills... The duplicate is killed. Well, first off, Borden's wife kills herself. Because she's just because of his horrible contrary... Um, attitude because one man he loves or one man he hates or one man he loves or one man he hates her and one man he's obviously cheating on her but he's not he swears up and down that he's not and it's a moment of clarity when she kills herself because she asks him the last night do you love me and he's like not today because he's enraged and drunk do we do the do we drop the final veil no, but the thing is, at this point, also, Olivia leaves because the same thing is happening. He's being contrary, and she says at one point, it's all, you know, you could be doing this in another another restaurant saying you, 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 you don't care about her. You could be doing this in another restaurant with another girl, and it could be the same conversation. Like, I, I can't believe you. Because he says that he never lets Sarah more than her, which it's just, she's just tired and pissed off, leaves. Uh, and Andre uses his 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 new the real transported man, and he goes across the room. And um, Borden is obsessed with it. And you hear him talking to himself, saying, or talking to Fallon, saying, "No, no, 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 no." It's like, how the hell does he do it? How does he do it? And he's like, you know what? Let him have his trick. No, he can't have his trick. And then that's when everything starts. He's found guilty of murder, sentenced to death, and then someone is gonna trying to buy his secrets. A Lord call up. Called called Cadlow, Caldlow. Turns out Lord Caldlow is actually um, NGA, and he's gonna he's bribing Borden to get a secret in order to well just a final I win moment, and he could let him go. He doesn't, and the twist of the movie is that I know I'm butchering this, but there's a lot to go through. But long story short, the whole thing is the transport man was super simple. It turns out that there actually is two men involved. He's a twin! An identical twin! I've been waiting here to say it. He's a twin. 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 And his identical twin dresses up in a... As Fallon. Uh-huh. Dresses up as Fallon and kind of like puts on... puts Glasses with co- fake teeth. Cotton in his mouth to make him look fatter. But, but teeth to make him look like his bite is different and... What are these called? Mutton chops. Mutton chops. And it's, they've been living a double life. They've been living 
this and or they've been living the same life. They've been switching off for years and years and which years. Which is why the one woman, the wife, says today you mean it. Or today you didn't mean it because it's the twin brother who really loves her and the other twin doesn't really love her. Because he loves the wife and one loves Olivia and right. that is where it goes crazy. Where two men are living one man's life. And they bring up, we each lived half of one life but it was ruined. And he pointed out, it was like, you ruined your own life to do this and it just was, the whole thing is about commitment because early on they show. Like, are you going to get your hands dirty is the phrase that they use. It is. It's like you, you look like you're ready to get your hands dirty. This because place. they apparently kill birds. That's something else altogether. Another part about the twist. And the twist, it ends where the one the one brother go, one of the brothers gets killed. The other brother gets revenge and kills uh, Angie. Or sorry, Lord Cadlow. Caldlow. Who is British, not... He's not American. Like, everyone's thought he's American. He's not. He's British. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing opens with Hugh Jackman's character saying, with, talking with his wife, no, I can't use my family name because they told they didn't want to be tied up. They don't want the name sullied with any of the... My, uh, my theatrics. Theatrics. So it, like, baited it in the beginning, like, when they talked about Lord so-and-so... My thing was always like, oh, he's Lord so-and-so. Because the family didn't want yada, yada, yada. That's, it's him. But the horrific twist is... is He's making duplicates of himself, exact duplicates of himself, and kills one every no, he No, night. he commits suicide while one duplicate appears. And is then it suicide or is it murder? Well, technically, they, that's what they say. That's how a transporter on Star Trek works. It's just a duplicate of you. But it destroys the first one. Yeah, it's kind of a horrific thing when you think about it. That's how a, tra- a tra- transport is supposed to work. But this one is a slow death. Yeah, because it's... it's he's it's, drowning every night. And the reason why he's drowning is because someone told That's him... That's how his wife died. And No, it's because it, he said, oh, it's a peaceful death. And it's like, it's not a peaceful death. It's like it's, going home. He's like, no, it's, it's an agonizing death. And you see how it's very different and very just... It's so much more layered, in my opinion. And the thing is that the illusionist was a critical commercial success, and the prestige is like it's a moderate success. Like the the illusionist made eighty seven million dollars on a sixteen million dollar budget, and the um, for a forty million budget, uh, the illusionist made one hundred and nine million dollars. So if you look at it, the illusionist made shit much more, a lot more money on yeah. a cheaper budget. But the Prestige made double its money. They made their money back. And even if you added a 60 million... No, they actually they didn't. Because $60 million, they had to make 120 They did not. They, they did a, a mild. They didn't make everything back. However, it's like the Illusions is the better movie. It really... Uh, not Illusions. The, the Prestige is the better movie. And it is a holy shit you know, it is a holy shit <laughs> moment. And it's good sci-fi, too. I think both are good movies. There's more of a romantic, happy ending for The Illusionist. 
Oh, the illusionist has the better as as a happy, happy ending. I mean, and I like happy, happy endings. Meanwhile, the, the the prestige has a horrific ending. It really does. And it wasn't like scary, horrific. Like, oh my gosh, I can't go to bed, or I'm gonna dream about this. It was like, okay, my brain is on. I need to think about something else before I go to sleep. Kind of thing. More so than it wasn't as dark as it was getting the gears going in my brain if that makes sense yeah and it's someone pointed out that this movie is it feels like it's very depending on who the viewer is you're either going to think of it as super complex or unnecessarily complicated just depending on if you're able to suspend belief because some of it is very fantastical and that's how the movie works though with aim because it's a movie about magicians so you have to suspend your belief a little bit in that you can't be like oh this is all about magicians and they're all fakes and they're all con artists and they're all this because the whole thing is that magic is about suspending belief and having a bit of wonder put into your life or do i sound like a complete nut job no not at all i get it i get it i get it i get it but that's what so we've kind of spoiled a little bit of our feelings on it and i do think that for um prestige i think they're both villains and they're both heroes yeah i agree but i think that out of the two twins alfred and freddie i think freddie was the bigger asshole i think freddie was the instigator for all the issues which one lives alfred lives the one who loved uh sarah lived Freddie was the one that loved the other girl, Olivia, and he was the asshole. We knew that at the end because he said he's like, I was the one who loved, I was the one that loved, who loved Sarah. He loved Olivia, but Freddie was. And if your wife is die is dead, why don't you should be the one that dies? They both love the good little girl. No, yeah. And I think that Olivia knew at the ending that there was two of them. She didn't want to admit it, but she figured I, it I out. I think she thought there was two different personalities, and she couldn't find, figure out what switched between the brains. Why? Why sometimes he truly loved her, and why he didn't? No, I think I don't think she would have killed herself. No, no, Olivia's the 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 other girl. Oh, okay. Uh, Scott Johansson. She no, the other girl. No, uh, they admitted that she knew. That, uh, what's her name knew? That Sarah knew. Sarah knew, but she wanted him to admit it because it's always secrets with him. Got it. Yeah. But that's, that's all we could say about this one. Yep. So. I think we've spoiled it enough. Yep. So that's it. Thank you guys for listening. We are gone. So we'll catch you guys next time. Keep watching movies. And, um, see you guys next time. Bye. I did not hit the stop button. No!
shoot me. Come on. No, I can't shoot Do it! <laughs> How'd you like that? <laughs> How'd you do it? Magic. I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world. The audience loved it. This trick is top notch. We need to celebrate. <laughs> A real magician tries to invent something new. It's something that other magicians will scratch their heads over. I suppose you have such a trick. As you do. It's the one they're going to remember me for. What happened? It was the greatest magic trick I've ever seen. I need to know how he does it. He has no trick. It's real. Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The first act is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, but of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. He's obsessed with discovering your method. The magician makes this ordinary something do something extraordinary. Huh. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. That's why there's a third act called The Prestige. This is the part with the twists and turns, where lives hang in the balance. Julie, come on! And you see something shocking you've never seen before. This was built by a man who can actually do what magicians pretend to do. Real magic. I know what you really are! How does he do it? You want the truth. Nothing is impossible. Secrets of my life. Nothing is impossible, Mr. Angio. What you want is simply expensive. If I were to build for you this machine, you would be presenting it merely as illusion? Well, if people actually believe the things I did on stage, they wouldn't clap, they'd scream. I mean, think of sawing a woman in half. Mr. Angier, have you considered the cost of such a machine? Price is not an object. Perhaps not, but have you considered the cost? I'm not sure I follow. Go home. Forget this thing. I can recognize an obsession. No good will come of it. Well, hasn't good come of your obsessions? At first, but I followed them too long. I am their slave, and one day they will choose to destroy me. If you understand an obsession, then you know you won't change my mind. So be it. Will you build it? I've already begun to build it, Mr. Angier. I hope you enjoy the mountain air. This will take some time. <laughs>